Hello and welcome to the latest episode of EG's Tech Talk Radio podcast with me, EG editor Sam McClary. Today I'm joined by Angelica Donati, Ollie Friedman and Richard Belgrave to talk about AI and machine learning in real estate. We talk about what it is, how attitudes to AI in the sector have changed, how it's being used in more areas than we may have realised and the potential it has in really driving the industry forward. We also look at the investment landscape for tech and investigate fresh topics for conversation around skills and education. It is a rich and deep conversation packed into just 35 minutes. An hour or delight if ever there was one. You know what to do. Enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Tech Talk Radio podcast. Uh, And on today's episode, we're going to be looking into the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning within real estate and how it's it's really accelerated, particularly through um, this COVID pandemic. But we'll be um, delving a little bit more into, into the detail of what what we really mean by AI and, and machine learning and exactly what it can do for real estate. And joining me to help in this discussion are three experts uh, with the one idiot here. Uh, um, and I'm going to ask each of those then to introduce themselves and, and tell us a little bit about um, their views, I suppose, on, on the future of um, AI and, and tech in particular, actually, in, in real estate. I'm going to pass first to the wonderful Angelica. Thank you so much, Sam, for inviting me on the podcast today. Um, My name is Angelica Donati, and uh, I guess my main claim to fame for being here today is that I'm a venture advisor for Concrete VC, which is a London-based PropTech and Contech VC fund. And I also write a column on PropTech and Contech and innovation in general across real estate and construction for Forbes. And thanks to this Forbes column, I have access to a lot of very interesting startups and investors and corporates. So uh, I'm able to have a bit of an eagle eye view on the market and on you know the trends that are that are happening. And to quickly answer your question, I think um, AI um, and machine learning are are turning into the 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 platforms on which tech is built. So um, in their own right, they're just becoming the operating systems on which sophisticated tech is being deployed. And with COVID and with lockdown, and we'll have plenty of time to discuss it in our talk today, there's been so much more tech being rolled out. So there's definitely a bright future ahead. Fantastic. Thanks, Angelica. Oli. Hi, I'm Oli Friedman from European Director for Retransform. Uh, Been in the post for just over a year. So I wouldn't say I'm quite an expert in AI, but I'm certainly know more about it than I did a year or so ago. And Retransform are uh, pushing AI into the real estate industry. Uh, we have kind of concrete examples of how it is being used. And it's, it's as um, Angelica said, it is the sort of cornerstone of um, the way technology is going to be used certainly in the next two to five years within the real estate industry. Thanks. Thanks, Ollie. And last up by no means least, Richard. Hi, everyone. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. My name is Richard Belgrave. I'm a vice president at MRI Software, representing the sales team for their contract intelligence 
product, which was previously known as Leverton, a business that I was a managing director at for four years or so prior to the acquisition by MRI last year. I, I think this is this is a, a fascinating topic um, and you know, I look forward to sharing some more of our experiences and how we're applying machine learning in particular for a very, you know, for a number of actually very sort of unique use cases. And, you know, one thing I'll just say at the outset is it's been remarkable just watching the sort of transformation of attitudes more than anything in the last 12 to 18 months. I remember my first ever meeting, um, it was with a uh, now quite progressive uh, you know, managing agent back in 2000 and I think 15 it was. And they just looked scared when I was even talking about artificial intelligence, right? And, you know, people were sort of looking around saying, you know, it's just gonna, it's just, you know, are our jobs at risk? Is this the real deal? Does it work? Is it going to work? And you know, now I'm you know, glad to say that they are a long-standing customer of ours and using this to you know, win market share and drive efficiencies across their business. So it's, it's definitely an interesting time to be having this conversation and, and definitely an interesting area to be working in. Well, well, let's start there with that with that transformation of attitudes, because I, I can remember not too long ago when you would talk about AI and machine learning in real estate and people's initial thoughts would go to Skynet, robots, you know, it's all, it's all really terrifying. This, we don't want this in, in our sector. Keep it keep it away. That is definitely not the case now. But what what has What's really led to that tra transformation and, and what more do we need to do to, to reach out to those who, who might still be a little little bit further behind? I, I think we, we can actually take it further back a little um, because it's the attitude changed pre-AI and pre-machine learning. It actually changed with the sort of, and I, and I hate to say it, the sort of prop tech you know, revolution prior to that. And that was probably... 2015 2016 you know just even talking about technology in the real estate industry was a struggle <laughs> and i think in sort of 2016 2017 2018 that the attitude changed completely you know prop tech became much more of a thing and attitudes changed then and then along along came the second wave was was ai and machine learning and i think People are now beginning to understand, OK, you know, technology, it's actually really important. And part of that technology piece is AI. And I, and I think there's there's a there's a lack of understanding at the moment about what AI can do for the industry or what it even is. And I would add, and I agree 100 percent with what Ali said, that it very much depends on what you do with it in the sense that ultimately um, the end user just cares about the final product, they care about the output. So a lot of times they might not even know that AI is what the uh, what their software is running on and, and all they want is the result. And now that we're looking more and more at integrated one platform type approaches in, in, in corporations and in, in all sorts of businesses, um, AI is, is what makes things run smoothly, but I don't think a lot of people realize where, where AI is being used and where it is, and they just want a seamless output. Do, do they need to know where it's being used or as you say just as long as the the result is what they want it doesn't matter not really i, I think as long as as i guess the the core concern would be around data how your data is being used and how it's being protected and as long as that and obviously in europe we have gdpr which which more than takes care of that so uh, it doesn't really matter to be honest i think it matters more to investors 
than users. Investors care because you know they want to know how sophisticated the tech they're investing in is. Users just want something that works. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, no, no one cares about how their car works. They just want it to get, you know, <laughs> yeah. they just want them to get it, get them from A to B as safely as possible. Sometimes as quickly as possible, but obviously that breaks some regulations. But it's the same, same thing. Sometimes yeah. it's as sustainable as possible as well. That's true as well. Yeah, good point. Thanks, Richard. I th- yeah, look, I, I think I think uh, good good points well made, and actually drawing from my own experiences, I think the difference maker is actually how AI is now positioned, right? Which is influencing the attitudes. I, I remember back in 2015, 16, we'd walk into a meeting and we'd be very much product led, right? Look at this amazing, shiny new piece of kit. Look how cool and sophisticated it is. Um, And actually now after demonstrable success with a number of clients, we walk into a meeting and we talk about problems and solutions, right? Which is what really resonates. And I think that is essentially what enables an attitude change because right now it isn't seen as AI for the sake of AI, it's seen as AI solving core core problems, uh, core challenges that have a financial and operational uplift when solved across an organization. So can, can we talk about some of those problems that, that AI machine learning can, can solve then in real estate, how we can utilize it to have a better product at the end of the day, run a, run a building in a better way, maybe design places in, in, in a better way? Sure. I mean, I can rattle off seven ways AI is being used right now uh, in the real estate industry. So so you have budgeting and forecasting. We have valuation and cash flow analysis, sensitivity analysis, reporting, benchmarking and performance analysis, accounting and debt management and accounting and property management. And Peter, I don't think people realise, but AI is being used in some way, shape or form in these kind of areas. And there's probably loads more, but these are the areas that, you know, I know where AI is being used currently. Yeah, I, I think and, and sort of, I guess, at a, a slightly more granular level, because it, it impacts all of those sort of seven pillars that Ollie spoke about, where we see a really acute interest in AI right now is in supporting the aggregation and integrity of downstream data and you know what both you know tenants managing agents uh, owners investors are looking at is well we need to start making different decisions to the ones we previously made we need to start making smarter decisions based on our um, or compared to our competitors and the baseline for those decisions is good quality trustworthy information and we are using machine learning and we're seeing machine learning used to kind of pass through and support the creation and curation of that downstream data. But actually, if I go back four or five years ago, it was very much a looking how AI machine learning can, I guess, influence the upstream data collection processes. Um, and that was sort of what was hot at the time. And now it's much more. And, and you know, that was kind of a OK, well, we need to shave off 30 minutes in how we extract information from this contract we need to be slightly more efficient with how we spend our time when we're aggregating mass data collection um you know, you know aggregating data on mass but but as, as i say now it's much more about well if tomorrow i need to rethink the way i do my business uh well i need to rely on good quality data in order to do so and that's where i see a lot of focus on machine learning you know right at this very moment <laughs> 
I, I was going to say, is that why we've seen this um, uptick um, during the pandemic that suddenly people have, have realised, oh, we need to be able to to fe- properly future proof, and and this is a way that we can be assisted in doing that. Yeah, and it goes. Yeah. Back, oh, sorry, go ahead, Richard. No, no, please, no, please go for it. <laughs> no, I was just going to say it goes back to the whole idea that um, th- things are shifting more and more towards a one-platform approach in a lot of sectors. So, as Richard was saying, as the data becomes more sophisticated and as the um, and also just more more. <laughs> more hefty in terms of what is being looked at and and the integrations become more complex, then you need to go for more sophisticated tech to analyze it. Um, and, and going back to Richard's example or Richard's comments, um, and also the, the pandemic, I don't think has created the opportunity. The pandemic's just purely accelerated it. It, it was on everyone's uh, plans, <laughs> you know, maybe in two to five years, a bit like working from home was on everyone's plans. But that would have taken, in most companies, that would have taken a year to uh, experiment and sign off, whereas in reality, it took a week or two at the most. Um, but with regards to Richard's comments, there's actually a really good example of that. So Skyline AI in 2018, they were involved in a, in a transaction which was totally AI driven. So there were two multifamily properties bought for $26 million and the algorithm was a was a soon to market detection algorithm and and with all the data that was fed into it which richard was referring to property characteristics kpis probability of natural disasters in the area state of the local real estate market supply of units that are going to be released this algorithm picked up these two properties as potential assets to buy and and obviously the decision wasn't made by the ai algorithm but the data uh, being crunched with the algorithm suggested these two properties were the best to buy and they were bought. I, I don't know how they've performed since, but I think it's a good example of, you know, how multiple, probably tens of thousands of data points are used and crunched in a fraction of the time that a human could do it or or a team of humans could do it. And then the results presented to the decision makers for the final push. I love that. I love that. It's it's quite it's quite interesting. So that that's sort of and I was thinking about this the other day when I was chatting to a client. That's sort of the use of AI to drive opportunity. But I think what we've seen a lot of um, as a result of COVID is use of AI to influence survival. And again, it, it's a it's a data challenge as well. I, I you'd be amazed. I remember in April last year, so almost a year ago, we had existing clients of ours, existing clients across MRI, you know, new to the family at the time, coming to us and saying, guys, can you help us understand what our rights as a tenant are with regards to break options, with regards to alienation provisions, right? This is actually fundamental rudimentary data that you that you would have assumed that they had their fingertip access to, right? Or that anyone across the business could access that information. But the reality is, often it's trapped in information and data silos. And I think what COVID has done is it's, think about the sort of the the digital pivot, which is going on. I think it's encouraged everyone to think much more about the availability and accessibility of of bog standard data, which, you know, I think two years ago, everyone would just assume is readily available and trustworthy. But actually what we learn is that very much isn't the case. And that's how we're really helping our, our clients, not just, as I say, with these kind of great opportunities to, with predictives and finding new opportunity, but actually to help them survive. 
And and per that point, I would say um, one of the big, uh, let's say, effects of the COVID pandemic is, is, is the acceleration of trends that were already in the way. And one of these is flexibility. And it's, you know, we see it with flexible workspace, we see it with flexible just behavior. So nobody's really thinking about going back to work full time, or most people are not. Um, so there's a lot of different factors at play. And um, I was just thinking about one of one of the things that has, has come up in discussion a lot in recent times is how how important tech will be to allow for buildings to be effectively managed in a flexible way, not just because of flexible occupancy and use, but also because a lot of times the the people managing these buildings will no longer or won't often be on site and won't often have access to the space. So you need to manage uh, how your users access the building safely with the right kind of distance. Thing. You also want to make sure that you're managing it efficiently so that your, your energy usage is, is right, that your all of your, your air quality levels are correct, that, that everything is being optimized to reduce costs. And you're having all of these different complex elements of very diverse data feeding into a kind of central hub. And how do you make sure that you have all the necessary feedback, feedback from, from all these diverse and unrelated data points? And commenting on that, so so um, Angelica's kind of picked on one of my three kind of fundamental areas of the real estate business that will be affected by AI. One, it, one is customer experience. We can come back to that. One is the sort of automated tasks for higher productivity. And this one is about facility and property management. So it's about it's about linking energy efficiency with customer satisfaction and meeting regulatory demands. It's about predictive maintenance, fault detection and diagnostics. I mean, we, we've got examples where with AI, um, AI systems have saved. I mean, on a really granular level, they've saved like hundreds of thousands of dollars for individual properties um, because they provided kind of predictive analytics on snow removal contracts, for example. And if you have, you know, if you've got 50 properties in areas where it's going to snow a lot, then that starts adding up uh, to a large saving. And then you've got also within that category, you've got enhanced um, building automation, which Angelica touched on. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. You, you talk there about um, savings that can be made. And I, I wonder, yeah. just to play devil's advocate, you know, it's not it's not costless to um, implement a, um, a intelligent system across a, a building, across the portfolio. And I think, you know, the the big firms probably have the pockets to be able to do that and the and the teams and and hopefully the intelligence uh, to to understand that this is a necessity if you want to be able to um, manage your your businesses um, sustainably um, in all sense of the word going going forward. But what if you're a you know an individual property owner? You're um, you, you know you might not have those big deep pockets. Is there is this something that applies? to everyone and can it apply to everyone no matter how big a um, owner or operator you are? Um, I, I take that probably. I mean, obviously, the, the larger the company, the bigger portfolio, the bigger the pockets, the more they can spend on AI. But there are products out there where they, they don't cost a fortune. They cost 
they cost a fraction of um, a consultant, an AI consultant. They're relatively quick to implement. I mean, we're talking probably 12 weeks to implement. And the, the IoT technology that would you know, help feed some of the data into the AI system are not that expensive. So it, it really depends. You know, there, there is a capital outlay, but the savings uh, long term, you know, you, you could calculate it using cash flows, potentially AI cash flows, although you wouldn't <laughs> have them at the time. But yeah, it, it wouldn't be difficult to work out the ROI on it. And I would also add and um, take this with a grain of salt because I'm obviously I'm not <laughs> a software person, but um, the IoT element is, is also starting to transition away from deploying um, a ton of sensors to using data that is provided by other means. So, for example, for your HVAC or for, for, your, for, for your predictive maintenance, you don't need to deploy sensors. A lot of times you can use the data that you're building already generates. There's just a question of intelligently mapping it. So, um, so the cash outlay might not necessarily be as great as, as it may seem. Also, because if you don't have a massive portfolio, probably the, the kind of output you need to be efficient is, is, is less because you have less variables. Yeah, and also yeah, just, on that point. Oh, sorry, Richard, you go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to sort of supplement both both of those very good points, which is, I think if you were to go back a couple of years when the marketplace and the supply of, of vendors and and yeah, you know, I, I guess products and solutions available was a lot more limited. Yeah, you would argue that those with the biggest pockets were able to buy the best of breed and what was in the market but actually there's so much fragmentation which actually sometimes you know causes problems for the people investing it's there's a sort of decision paralysis but there is such a fragmented vendor landscape that what i've seen is there's often a solution there's often a product that kind of fits your needs irrespective of your size and budget available should should we talk about that fragmentation of the market whether that is a good thing or, or a bad thing or whether we need to have a finite number of solutions out there for the for this sector to to enable uh, I don't know maybe it's um, a sort of better better collaboration across the industry better data um, across the whole of the, the sector. Um, I think if you look at it from an investment perspective, uh, fragmentation is good in the early stages of a sector's growth because it allows for competition and competition is great for the market, great for users and also great for the development of tech. Um, monopolies aren't very successful in, in innovating. Um, and then over time, there is a natural trend towards consolidation. The market will pick winners and uh, there'll be acquisitions, there'll be mergers, and the market will tend to consolidate around those winners. So um, I, think, I think that you just need to let the market do what it does naturally. And in terms of there being different types of technology, I think that the only barrier would be if there was if it was impossible to integrate them. So if you can't put together a bunch of different tech to get an end-to-end -end user solution, then you have a problem, but then the market will punish those who don't do it eventually. So I think it all kind of works out. Yeah, I think there's, there's a massive um, trend towards collaboration between tech providers it's it really evident in the last few years, actually, you know, if your if your system isn't um, kind of collaboration enabled through APIs or whatever, 
it is going to suffer because there is no there's no one product in the market which satisfies every need it's it's impossible so you need to you need to collaborate with other software suppliers and it's it's ultimately it's all about giving your client what they want and what they need and you you cannot do it on your own so it becomes a necessity there's and, a great lesson there isn't there for real estate <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> sorry I think, richard I think one of the things that people people forget, and, and, and you're right, I think that the, there will be winners and losers, and, and the winners will be those that have that open and connected strategy that are using APIs. But actually, if you take a step back and you think, well, one of the real problems is being able to identify the best way to knit, to stitch these these products together in order to create a holistic value proposition that actually solves a real world problem. And I think what I see, uh, what I see is, is I guess potentially lacking in the real estate industry is that level of knowledge, know-how, and expertise. Individuals that have that innovative mindset within the real estate space to be able to identify the players to put together and solve the problems. And that's one of the issues that fragmentation causes. You, you know, you are a large, um, you know, you, you're the a big hitter at a large landlord. You, you run, you run in a you run an estate for for a large corporate occupier and you're constantly having people come and pitch you and sell you their solutions and ultimately you know unless you put someone above those users someone with um you know some kind of innovation background some some person with some sort of strategic background it's it's going to be very hard to actually i guess cut through the noise and turn the, that sort of fragmentation into uh, you know, a, a valuable offering for, for your business. So I think, yeah, we, we focus very much on it being a product and a solution challenge, but there is an element of as a people challenge here as well. And that expertise is required to actually make it happen and to drive utility from the offerings. That's, that's definitely changing, though. There are, you know, companies, many companies that are putting those kind of people in places at very high levels which is which is great because yeah without them it's a real struggle to communicate with the with the pure property people especially successful property people that have been doing a good job and making lots of money from it over the last 20 years you know Sorry, Angela. Oh, no, I was just going to say, but and that is kind of something that, I mean, we've seen over and over again. Innovation has to start from the top. There needs to be C-suite level buy-in. Otherwise, it be, there's a culture clash that is really hard to to to, to move past. So it's kind of a of an essential condition for, for any kind of, of innovation to take place, for it to be bought in at the very top. Go ahead. Sorry, 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 Sam. On, on that, it's quite interesting, and we we see the, the the reverse of that as well. So sometimes there's a risk when you have a very strategic thinking C-suite who just want to be seen as being innovative, but actually the business users and the end users haven't bought in. And um, mm -hmm. so ultimately, you could end up spending a bunch of money and implementing a bunch of software, a bunch of hardware, but actually, if people don't use it and people don't buy into it, then ultimately. You know, you're not going to get the return on investment it deserves or that is required. Um, I think I might have lost you for about a minute there, but hopefully this kept on recording because I'm sure it was all, all gold uh, there, Richard. 
Um, I, I, I was just going to say that there's a whole other podcast that we should do actually on that sort of skills gap there is in, in terms of tech in, in real estate and, and the, the real importance of, of filling, filling that gap going forwards. Um, one thing I did want to um, uh, touch on, uh, which we have lightly in, the, in this conversation, but I want to go a bit deeper into is, um, is the investment um, environment for um, tech in real estate, particularly around AI and machine learning. We are seeing a huge number of um, vehicles being launched over in the, in the States anyway, that have a, a real focus on real estate tech and particularly re uh, real estate tech um, around data is is there a huge appetite for for this kind of um, uh, real estate tech and, and what can we expect to see going forward Angelica I'm going to paraphrase um, from what a VC told me when I asked this question and if you take the size of the real estate market and you take the size of the real estate tech let's say prop tech contact and you compare them, we haven't even started scratching the surface. So there cannot be anything but exponential growth. Um, we're seeing a lot of money uh, pouring into the space. We're seeing a lot of corporates putting money into the space. So it's not just institutional investors, but it's also corporates that believe in tech and are betting on tech. And uh, even though you know the pandemic has allowed trends to accelerate, and although we've, it's grown so much since the early days of 2015, it is literally just the beginning and it cannot but snowball from here. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, the, from what I've read, the, the sort of market is very bullish about tech companies and tech companies in real estate. I mean, there's there's two examples. They're not necessarily in real estate, but they have a massive impact on real estate. So UiPath and Databricks, you know, they could be in the pipeline for 2021 to go public, which will be huge. Um, tech investment bankers are saying they haven't seen anything like it since the dot-com kind of era. Uh, era and the, the sort of platforms, mobile, SaaS, cloud, um, 5G and IoT uh, are creating this kind of op these opportunities for, um, you know, massive tech uh, investments. And I just want to add, and maybe this can be like food for thought for a future podcast, that there's two, um, let's say, two areas that, that investors are very excited about. One is sustainability, which you mentioned, Tam, and that's a whole topic of it in, in of its own. But COVID has shown us that tail risks aren't that much, uh, aren't as remote as we think they are. So sustainability is coming back front and center. And then the other one, which is also a completely different topic from what we're discussing today, is construction. Even traditional prop tech players are now investing in construction tech. Um, and, and that is very exciting. And there is a lot of AI going into that as well. And, and, and let's, let, let's finish with the future then. And you've, you've given us some food for thought there, and Angelica. But what, you know, what does the future for real estate um, across the board so starting at construction maybe even starting at design um and through to the customer customer experience at the end of end of the chain what does what does the future look like for that and what role what role is tech going to play in in really making sure that the the whole journey is the very very best it can be richard why don't you start us off 
Yeah, so are you actually cut out for about 15 seconds? What was the, the final comment? <laughs> it was what the, what the future looks like for, um, for uh, uh, tech in real estate to really make sure that that journey from, from idea to, to customer experience is the, is the best it can be. Oh, well, <laughs> very loaded question, very open-ended <laughs> question. Yeah, look, I, I think that it, it, we're basically just going to see um, much less friction in the sort of the beginning to end of, you know, think about what happens from the beginning when the, the idea of a building, the idea of a place to go shopping, the idea of a place to go, you know, you know, get, get some food. I think we're just going to see a lot less friction from beginning to end, right, from so where 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 do we build space? Where do we lease space? What do we do in the space? Uh, and I just think that the emphasis is really going to be on giving people a much better, more enjoyable, more liberated experience. Um, and that's whether or not you're a tenant, whether or not you are, as you say, you know, as I say, someone you know, off to go to the shops. Um, that's going to be ba- you know wh- where I'm working and how you know how, how I'm spending my time. So I j- we're just going to see le- le- less friction, uh, and we're just going to see I think just a lot more liberation um, of the counterparties to, um, across the real estate space. Fantastic, thank you, Ollie. Um, well, from from a more of a technology point of view, I think that the customer experience is going to change. There's going to be a lot more kind of voice activated um, analytics. I mean, kids today do not type in to the internet. They typically, you know, will talk to their phones in order to get responses back. And I think that will happen more and more. I mean, some chatbots are not particularly good at the moment. Others are better, but they will get better with AI. And uh, especially with deep fake images. I mean, you, you could have deep fake celebrities providing your customer service before long. Perhaps the celebrities will charge for that. I don't know. But that, that will definitely become a thing. And then from, from a very kind of property-related point of view, which we've mentioned before, the, the AI will link in massively to the, to the ESG side of the business. It will, it will pull data points from every which way, and it will provide the predictive um, analytics to help uh, companies become much more sustainable and reach their net zero targets and also the the higher productivity within the industry for for those humans that stay you know within gainful employment their productivity will be augmented by ai um the decision making process will be made uh quicker and and potentially easier for them so lots lots to look forward to thanks ollie angelica I think in uh, in general, there will be much more attention to the end user and you will hone into individuals as opposed to aggregate groups. And then I look forward to a future in which it will be end to end data continuity so that there will be continuous feed- feedback loops across all different phases of an asset's life cycle and across assets in the built environment so that we can look forward to a future where data is no longer siloed and left for dead, as Richard was mentioning, but it is used and it is useful across the assets lifecycle. I like that, used and it's useful. And I was just thinking back, listening to all of that, when we started at the beginning of this conversation, talking about the transformation of attitudes. And it sounds like 
uh, you know, maybe um, five, five, ten years ago, people had this, a fear of AI. And now, actually, I feel like if you add a, add a D to the end of the AI, you get what it's actually for. It's, it's an aid. It's really helpful. And it's going to help us continue to accelerate, help us to, um, to survive and be be more productive and, and create a better experience for the end user, which is what real estate should really be about. Um, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we can always go on on these these things and, and we've spawned some ideas for the for the next podcast coming up. So thank you so much for joining us today, Richard, Ollie and Angelica. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.